Good morning. Today's reading is from the book of, book of Luke, chapter 14, verses 25 through 33. And it can be found on page 850 in your pew Bible. Now large crowds were traveling with him, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If he cannot then, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. This is the word of God for the people of God. Just an uplifting and light gospel passage for us today. If you don't hate your family, your home life, if you don't sell all of your possessions, if you're not willing to pick up the cross and follow, then Jesus says you can't be his disciple. Jesus was speaking to a large crowd, sharing this message. He was laying out the cost of discipleship. In your own Bibles, that is probably the heading for this passage. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor, theologian, and anti-Nazi martyr, has said it this way. When Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Now, I generally don't like when language says man and doesn't include women, but for this instance, y'all can keep that one. This is the cost of discipleship. Now, Jesus isn't, isn't really messing around in this passage. It's one of those passages that many of us would like to pretend isn't in our Bibles. We just kind of, we don't know what to do with it. This is one of those passages that lead pastors pawn off on their associates and then leave for the weekend. And then, I'm just kidding, Rob. He's like, <laughs> But really, these are the very words of Jesus in this passage. And he's speaking to a large crowd. And what I imagine him saying is, let all who have ears listen. I'm sharing something important in these words. Now, today we are continuing in our Good to Great in God's Eyes sermon series. We have been talking about practices and disciplines that can move us towards greatness in God's eyes. And today we're going to be talking about making great sacrifices and enjoying great moments. Sometimes those things happen together and sometimes not so much. But there is likely no better gospel passage for us today to walk through than the one you just heard read in Luke 14, 25 to 33. There's likely no better gospel passage for us to wrestle with today as we remember the veterans of our armed services and their families. You know, this, we're talking today about great sacrifices. 
And there are many people in this room more equipped than I am to speak about what a great sacrifice looks like. Many of you have given up your time. Many of you have adapted your relationships. Many of you have given up your own freedom so that others can be free and be safe. And so you know something then that others do not. And that is that there is this strange paradox that exists between sacrifice and freedom and sacrifice and love even. If we study history, this paradox seems to be true. But more importantly, we see this paradox between sacrifice and love played out in our Bibles. Now, in worship today, because we are the church, we are going to be talking about what does it mean to make great sacrifices in the eyes of God. Because our greatest allegiance as Christians is to our Lord and Savior. And our call is to live a life of sacrificial service to our Lord, who was called the Prince of Peace. We are called to be part of God's army on earth. And so it's a different kind of army. It's a different kind of calling. And yet, at the same time, there are many parallels. Similar to the commitment made when some of you raised your right hand. Similar to that commitment that you made that required all of you. One that told you you were no longer even your own. Jesus requires that same kind of commitment and sacrifice from each and every one of us as his disciples. That's what our passage is unpacking for us today. So what does it mean to make great sacrifices in the eyes of God? And specifically, what can we learn from Luke 14? The first thing I think we can learn from that passage is that making great sacrifices involves reading the fine print. Jesus wants us to become familiar with the terms and the conditions of discipleship. How do we know this? Well, if we read that passage and we imagine Jesus in the role of a recruiter in this passage, Jesus is essentially saying, you better know what you're signing up for here. You better know that you are about to leave your mama and your daddy and your puppy and everything that you hold near and dear behind. And whatever we want you to have, we'll give you. And if we don't give it to you, You don't need it. Understood? And don't even think about signing on that line of discipleship until you understand that giving up everything and picking up the cost of the cross will be required of you. Who's in? Jesus doesn't say these things because he wants you to hate your mom and your dad any more than a recruiter would tell you that they want you to hate your mom and your dad. Jesus is just letting us know that we will be required to walk away from things and people and places that we love if we want to follow our Lord. Jesus is telling us that nothing at all should get in the way between God's call on our lives and our willingness to follow. That is why the language is so strong in this passage. And sadly, 
for the church in the West specifically, we have forgotten, it seems, the sacrificial call that Jesus asks of us. We no longer read the fine print. With the best of intentions, we as your church leaders even, wanting people to know the love and the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness and the life that is found in and only through Jesus, with the best of intentions, we often make signing up for church way too easy. And we do this, ironically, to our own detriment. And we reduce God's power in the world when we don't take seriously our call to live as selfless servants to our Lord and Savior. What happens when the church takes the discipline out of disciple and fails to read the fine print is that instead of looking like God's spirit-led and fueled army in this world, this broken, dark, and hurting world, we often wind up looking more like John Winger's platoon in that old and stupid movie Stripes before they became to look even this good. Now, I have no idea why I thought of this movie this week. I haven't thought of this movie in like 20 years. Um, but what came to mind is actually, do you remember how they looked when they first arrived? You know, kind of lacking motivation or discipline, kind of wandering, maybe aimlessly trying to find their purpose. And then they had to find motivation from within themselves somehow to get to this point. I think they lost their, their, uh, their drill instructor, their drill sergeant there. And, and, at the end, they wind up finding their own motivation. And I like this, actually, because it reminds me that we don't all have to look the same in the church. We don't have to be in, in, we don't have to be uniform in the way that we present ourselves. We don't have to speak the same way or dress in a certain way or be polished and shiny on the outside. But we do need to find our discipline and our purpose. And we can't do it alone. We need to find the body that God has called us to serve with and pull it together with God leading us. God wants us to read the fine print, to not take the discipline out of disciple. Sacrificial living requires us to read the fine print. Two, sacrificial living is often costly. Sacrifices cost us of our time and our talent, and they cost us sometimes our relationships in some way. That doesn't mean that a relationship has to die, but when God calls us in some way that involves a sacrifice, our relationships often have to adapt in order to follow God. And God will be with us as we do this and and can bring us closer to God and one another. And sometimes that isn't the case, but uh, living sacrificially is costly. Verse 28 tells us, For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost? So what will it take for us, Ebenezer Church, to accomplish our purpose of being God's witnesses of hope and redemption and healing in the world, in this community? in the places where we work or serve or live, in our neighborhoods, in Embry Mill, what will it cost? Are we adding up the right costs? Because that is more important than counting the costs. What are we, what are we counting? For example, 
The average cost of a wedding in the United States is... Does anyone know how much the average cost of a wedding is? A lot. $39,000. And it's actually higher in areas like D.C. and New York. $39,000. And that is, is the price. That, that includes the engagement ring and the service and, and the uh, wedding service, the reception, and the honeymoon. But $30,000 of that goes to that one-day celebration. The one-day actual service. $30,000. But more alarming than that is the fact that now 30% of couples are going into debt in order to pay for this like Instagram-worthy wedding for this one-day service. $39,000 for an event. Are we counting the right costs? Right? Notice what that figure doesn't include. Right? How many people in here are married? Now keep your hand up if marriage is easy. Right? Exactly. Right? Marriage is hard and it's sacrificial and it's costly. It's like a self-imposed prison that we willingly walk ourselves into. <laughs> it's just true, right? But this is a call. marriage is a call. And it, it does require a sacrifice. That thirty-nine thousand dollar price does not include things that would actually help people be married, like two becoming one. It doesn't include premarital counseling, where you talk about things like financial expectations. What's your opinion on debt? Is it the same as yours? Hey, how are we going to relate to our in-laws? How do we decide where to go for the holidays? Um, You know, all of these important things about actually being married are not counted in that $39,000. Nothing that has the long game in mind, not a down payment on a house. So marriage is sacrificial and it's costly, but the real cost has little to nothing to do with a one day or even one week celebration. Wedding ceremonies are fun. They're fun and they're biblical. It's okay to enjoy a good celebration and to have fun, but that one day event is not going to fill the bank with what you need To live a life of two becoming one. Similarly, there is a sacrificial cost to what Jesus is trying to build through us, his church. The church is the bride of Christ, after all, right? Right? This is the most important wedding in all of scripture, in my opinion. It's the wedding between the church and Jesus. And we are Jesus' bride. But if we are not careful, we could be adding up and counting costs that do not capture the true purpose of our call as Jesus' bride. The true cost of discipleship. And Luke Luke 14.27 defines it this way. To bear the cross and to follow Jesus. And as the bride of Christ... That's the cost that we're supposed to capture, bearing the cross and following Jesus. So living sacrificially involves reading the fine print. It's costly. Three, it will likely hurt in some way. When God calls us to trust and to obey and to follow, that almost always means that we have to give up something that we hold near and dear. I mean, it could be an old habit. It could be leaving a town that you love. It could be um, leaving uh, relationships with people who, who are in a town that you love. Even when it's in our best interest, even when what God has in store for us is infinitely better than whatever we are clinging to, 
Sacrificing is hard and it hurts and we're humans and it's okay to say that something hurts and to acknowledge it. When Christ calls us to live and to go and to be sent and to serve, there's likely hurt involved. So you might say, Pastor Monica, why on earth would I want to sign up for something that involves reading all of that fine print that's costly, that's going to ask me to walk away from something, to give something up that is even going to hurt me? Why would I want to do that? After all, it doesn't affect my eternal salvation, right? There's nothing that we can do to earn our way to God. That's a free gift. So why on earth would I want to sign up for something that sounds hard? Can I just rest on my laurels until the good Lord calls me home? And that would be a valid question. Why? Why do this? And to that, I would say, if you can, if you think that you're going to be able to find rest or freedom or love apart from an authentic discipleship relationship with God, then we might not fully be understanding the nature of our relationship between God, our creator, who created the universe from nothing, and us, humankind, the pinnacle of God's creation, each and every one of us stamped with the image of God. If we think that we're going to be able to find peace or rest or love apart from acknowledging God's desire for our relationship with God, then I think we're not understanding what God intends of us. God has designed us to only find those things in and through Him. And yes, God sent Christ to save us, and no, we can't do that for ourselves. And that is the good news of the gospel, that it is a free gift, that we don't have to worry about atoning for our own sins, and we don't have to worry if we're good enough or we messed up today, or if we mess up tomorrow, because all of that is covered in Christ. But God also sent us Christ to show us the way to teach us, to lead us. That's why Jesus said, follow me and not let me into your heart. Jesus said, follow me. Our peace will be the result of our willingness to fall under the lordship of Jesus. So why would we want to live sacrificially? It's because that this is the only way that we can find what each and every one of us is longing for. And that is true connection with God and with one another. God is relationship and has designed us to be in relationship. And living this life of costly discipleship is the the means that we have at our disposal to understand how God wants us to live and to be. Throughout the entirety of the Bible, Old Testament and New Our attempts to show God that we love him and God's attempt to show us how much we are loved have always involved sacrifice. In the Old Testament, priests offered up sacrifices, bulls and goats to atone for their sins and for uh, the sins of their people. And then they would offer voluntary offerings, burnt offerings, grain offerings, peace offerings. And these were expressions of gratitude and love. And for us in the New Testament... Jesus was our perfect, is our perfect priest and is our perfect sacrifice. We don't have to worry about the heavy stuff 
Jesus has defeated sin and our final enemy death. That is a promise and an assurance that we have been given. And in that is our freedom. And the call that God asks is for us to voluntarily offer ourselves back as a living and holy offering in sacrificial service to Jesus, our Lord. Said another way, love is made visible through sacrifice. It's a biblical truth, Old Testament and new. So think about your own life for a minute. What are those experiences where love and sacrifice have been two sides of the same coin? Maybe it was giving up your dream job so that you would be more available and more present with your family. Maybe it was putting putting your own career aspirations on hold so that you would be available to be able to move as your family needed you to move. Maybe it has been giving up an actual organ in your body so that another person could live. Or blood, so that those who need blood have a good supply. Maybe it has been giving up of your time to serve um, at one of our food distribution sites or as a tutor or a PTA member or a crossing guard, a visible presence of service um, in your life and in your community. Or maybe it's just countless acts, small acts of service that you do every single day that no one seems to acknowledge or care about, but you do them because you want to express your love to those around you. We live sacrificially, whether we know it or not, the Bible tells us, because we desire to be in that connection with God and others. Now, some of you might be thinking, this doesn't sound like any fun at all. Why would I want to do this? And if God desires all of these things from me, then clearly God doesn't want me to have a good time as well, and God doesn't want me to be happy. And I don't think that that is true at all. I believe that God is the source of our joy and of our happiness. How many of you have a mental picture of Jesus smiling? Yeah, like Jesus was fully human. Jesus smiled. Jesus was present at the parties. Like he was where the people were. Like was Jesus, if he showed up at your wedding, would he be like the electric sly guide or like the Cupid shuffle guy? I don't know. But he was participating in the in events where people were celebrating. The first miracle that's recounted in the Gospel of John chapter 2 is Jesus turning water into wine. Now, this wasn't just any water. Jesus took the ritual purification water, and he turned that into wine. And it wasn't just a little bit of wine. It was a whole bunch of wine. John chapter 2 tells us that there were six jars um, that he turned in, and each of those jars held 20 to 30 gallons of water. At that one wedding feast that Jesus was at, he made 120 to 180 gallons of wine for his first miracle. This is what he chose to do. Said another way, Jesus supplied that wedding with a thousand bottles of wine. You know, we, we took, um, we were talking about wedding celebrations earlier in this message, but this is maybe a little more positive slant um, about Jesus and celebrating. You know, biblical, it was biblical to celebrate. It was biblical to have a good time. Um, I don't think Jesus wants us to overindulge um, or to abuse anything um, in any way. Um, but wine was a, it was 
clearly present in, in, in the Bible. It was present for feasts and celebrations, but it was also present for high holy days, like the Passover. Like when Jesus took the Passover feast and reworked it and made it be for us, which is now our communion liturgy. Jesus clearly wants us to enjoy great moments in life. Sometimes these great moments are also moments of great sacrifice. Like childbirth is an incredibly painful experience, but it's also one of the greatest joys in someone's life. My mom told me that you would forget the pain. She lied. But somehow, somehow, the way that God has designed us, why did God make us like this? I don't know. We don't have all of these answers. But it is a truth that in that moment of great pain and great sacrifice is also one of the greatest moments of someone's life. Sometimes the great sacrifices that God calls us to are in no way connected to great joys or celebrations. Sometimes there's a loss that makes no earthly sense to us. And we'll go an entire lifetime wondering why God, why God let something happen or why a particular sacrifice was made. And we don't know. And sometimes God calls us to sacrifice something and we don't find out until 10, 15, 20 years later. We're not able to see until then God's hand making beauty from ashes. That's the mystery of our faith. But the truth is that God has prepared an amazing feast and an amazing banquet for all of us. It doesn't take much more than to look outside on the fall to see that God has an eye for beauty and for diversity. God created an amazing world around us and wants us to enjoy it, to slow down maybe, to take it in, to marvel at the kind of God that would create something so awe-inspiring if we can just bring ourselves to enjoy it from time to time. God is definitely present in our grandiose gestures and sacrifices, but God is also present in those small daily acts. And I think that is in those small daily acts of sacrificial living, those things that no one might even notice or acknowledge, that when we do those things day in and day out, they move us to become the kind of disciple that Jesus is talking about in Luke 14. They move us into these small, seemingly disconnected acts and add up to the bigger picture that God is painting in our life. And it is, it's also through living that way that we become to understand the strange paradox. How is it that living a costly life of discipleship can also amount to great, great joy and great love? I think it is more often than not in those small moments. So my prayer today as we wrap up is that we all have eyes that see where God is calling us, that we have ears that can hear Jesus around us, maybe in the most unlikely of places. My prayer is that we have feet that are willing to take us where God leads, 
even when there's sacrifice involved, even when there's risk involved, even when it's costly. And my prayer is that we are able to enjoy the great moments that God has prepared for us, has planned for us. My prayer is that we're able to slow down a little bit and enjoy the people that God has placed in our path. Sometimes those greatest moments of joy are those small interactions with our family, with our loved ones, with our neighbor. Those things we're so willing to either take for granted or to miss entirely. Those are our great moments. My prayer is that we're willing to take the time to experience them and to know that God is the source of all joy. And above all else, my prayer for us as individuals and as God's church is that we are willing, as the bride of Christ, to pray and to ask God to lead us in a way of being that boldly says, not my will, God, but your will be done. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.